If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you for jumping on. Thank you for signing on to another case because I feel like I keep cheating you and I keep saying, you know what, next week we're going to do one that's a little lighter. And I don't give you that ever. (laughs) (laughs) I never give you that. Well, baby, I wouldn't expect anything less. Well, I'm saying I was like, I hope they don't crucify me because I'm I just covered this story on The Sinister and I keep falling into this rut where I'm like, well, I don't want to like duplicate stories. I don't want to like cover it on The Sinister and then like bring it over to creep time because I want to give variety. But at the same time, I get latched into the story and then I'm like, oh, but it's a really good, like I should really tell it to Stu. That's the problem. I keep like being like, oh no, I have to tell this to Stu. Well, I think you just like seeing me get my ass kicked. <laughs> I really do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, some of these stories are just so shocking and especially one like this because like I said, I just did a deep dive on it for the sinister. So There's a lot of ambiguity with this case, which is why what I like to bring to you, because I like to have the discussions about like what this could have been, what really happened here, what are the theories and what do we know? And you said before, before we jumped on that, you don't know the story of Diane Schuler, Aunt Diane. I just the the Aunt Diane thing is already freaking me out. I don't know why, but the fact that you're referring to her as Aunt Diane, I know it's not going to be good. Well, when I first heard the story, I first heard people refer to there's something wrong with Aunt Diane, right? And I didn't know what that was, but it's actually a doc. I think it's on Max. I'm pretty sure it is. And I'm Creepers. Hi, by the way. Welcome to Creep Time, the podcast (laughs) with Silas Dean and Stu. I'm sure I am sure some of them know this story and they have watched the doc. But the doc is called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane because it is the story of basically an aunt and a mother who snapped something happened to her and that's kind of the mystery of this case so i'm going to get into a bit of her backstory i'm going to go through the timeline of the day where all of this goes down and i will give a warning again because this is another heavy hitting case this is a pretty grisly story but it's very mysterious something was wrong with this woman and i can't figure it out and you're expecting me to figure it out right I mean, why else would I bring it to Creep Time, the podcast? <laughs> the Creepers There's and I no other get out our, pa- our notepads and pens. Here we go. Get out the notepads, brew a fresh pot of coffee, honey, because we're going to dive in straight away. But before I do, I want to say thank you to everybody for stopping by. Thank you to all of the new premium subscribers who have been signing up on not only Spotify, to which there are hundreds of new signups. There are hundreds of new signups on Apple because premium is now available on Apple as well for not only Creep Time, the podcast. But creep time after dark. Finally. You heard that. <laughs> I was just saying, finally, we <laughs> Apple users got it. <laughs> it was so like, 
a grudge, a grudge was like, you go, well, finally, it's about goddamn time. Well, thanks again, everybody, for stopping by. Thank you for supporting the podcast, spreading the word about it every time you tell your friends, family, or even if you just comment about us online. We really appreciate it as we do the positive reviews. Thank you for all of those. They've been so sweet lately. So, so nice. I just keep flooding you with them. But with that, I'm not going to belabor it. I'm going to get straight into the case because we do have a bit to get through. But I would say most of what we're going to talk about is the timeline of the day. So maybe I should get into a bit of Diane's backstory first. Sound good? I'm ready. I'm sweat. My upper lip is sweating. Like I'm like nervous to get into this. I've been sweating all day because sorry, a little levity here before we <laughs> before we start. It's been. <laughs> you were like, can I say something? Hold on, can cut I the mic. I gotta speak. It is 15 <laughs> damn degrees here in DC, mm. but then when you walk, oh my it's god, so cold. But anytime you go in somewhere, it's like, oh, the heat feels so good, and then it's like Hades level. It's, insufferable. Oh my insufferable. god! Yeah, I'm like, I cannot regulate. I cannot regulate. So, does your apartment have gas heat, or do you have uh, gas? Yeah. Uh, 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 gas. Yes. Um, mine does too. Does that not freak you out? Freaks you me know, out. I had it in New York for so long that it doesn't freak me out. Oh, duh. But yeah, okay. But also in New York, here we go. Now we're just going to talk about heat and gas and other electricity. But when I. (laughs) These would be important (laughs) things to discuss on this podcast. What happened to Aunt Diane? And then I've just cut to this. But I didn't have heat in my last apartment. So I need to be just knocking on wood. Sorry, come again? You mean like the apartment, they they were upfront with that? They're like, it doesn't come with heat or it just oh, never no, worked? Oh, no, it just stopped working right before I left oh, New York. Oh, okay. It just stopped <laughs> they working. Like, You'll get a really great deal. The place has no heat. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> that, is, that would actually check out for New York. But it was right before I moved and the heat just completely cut out and... I like had to call four one one. It was a whole thing, but anyways, Jesus, why didn't they buy you a space heater? I, I mean, I use a spe- first of all. I have gas heat. I had the gas company turn it off because it freaks me out. It, well, yeah, and it just gets so damn hot. It yeah, it gets so hot, and even when you technically turn it off, it, at least in this apartment, because this is a like an old bungalow that was renovated, it's just so it's always on. Yeah. So with my space heaters, at least I can kind of regulate it anyway. I won't get on about this. I'm stalling because I'm, again, nervous to get into this research because when I did it for the Sinister, I wrote it all out. But I want to, again, try to test a bit of my memory on this. There will be a few things I'll have to reference so I get the dates and like certain times specifically um, correct. But this is going to be another off the cuff. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So... Let's first talk about Diane Schuler. I'm just going to give you a little bit of backstory on her. I won't give too much because I think most of what's important in this story is the day of. But to paint the picture of who Diane was, she, when she was young, she kind of grew up in a, a bit of a strange family dynamic. So she had four brothers, a house full of guys, four brothers, and her dad. But her mother was not in the picture. Her mother actually walked out on the family when she was a little girl. And the reason I bring this up is not to like set the stage as this is like an inciting incident, you know, if she had mommy issues or daddy issues that this like created the person that she was. It's not necessarily that. But what I did think, what I do think it did was that it informed something for Diane from when she was very young, where she said from a very young age, I want to be a mom when I grow up. That's like one of my dreams. 
and I want to be a great mom. I never want to be a mom like my mom who left our family. Mm-hmm. So that's chilling for me in like the big picture, like bird's eye view context of the whole case in consideration of what happened here on this day. So Diane grows up and as she grows up, I think her four other brothers, they end up like reconnecting with the biological mother. They like reconciled the relationship. Diane never did. She never did. And she never liked to talk about it. She never liked to show weakness. And I also think this informed a little bit of the type of person that she became because everybody described her as like extremely type A was the only way I could articulate this. She's like on top of everything, Stu. Mm. She eventually, you know, gets married, I think in the early 2000s and she would have two kids and she's described as like PTA mom involved in every single thing. She's at every school function, high profile job. She's in a leadership role at a big company. And from the description of her friends and her husband, she kind of ran the show in that house. Like she was a very controlling person, but I don't want to say that in the sense that she was like a dictator at the home. It was just like her husband said, like, she's a tough woman. Mm. Like, like she likes to, you know, have things done a certain way and she asserts herself. She puts her foot down. She's very put together. That's the important piece. Diane at the surface is very buttoned up. Does this give you like a little bit of an, an image? Maybe I should, I should send you a picture. Hold on. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm kind of already starting to like have a little bit of a connection just because, I mean, you know, I'm one of four and I have three brothers and like there is that dynamic where when you're kind of the only girl you have to you kind of just naturally take on that role of like you know keeping things together running the show um so I'm a little freaked out but I know I sometimes that just happens when we cover cases where like as I'm saying it out loud I'm like oh this kind of matches like Stu's story a little bit like I think I said that once with um someone who had the same exact birthday as you I forgot which case that was do you remember it? I don't. Um, oh, oh, oh! It was Joshua in the chimney. Oh shoot! You're right. I think yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, one older brother too. Yeah, it's the weird like that. Wow. Hold on, I'm gonna send you this picture. This is a picture of Diane and her husband. His name was Daniel Schuler. That's where the last name Schuler came from. Okay, they look very normal, happy. Where, where are they from again? Um, they lived together in Long Island. I okay. Believe. I was going to say they kind of look like, um, like, oh, I mean, she looks a little bit like New Jersey-ish to me or something. So that's kind of a little bit. Funny Some, yeah. Said. Early 2000s. Like yeah. there's something it's, I, I know what you mean though. It's like hard to put your finger on it, but being from like the East coast, especially be like, I'm from like the Northeast. I yeah. was like, yeah, yeah, she tracks, mm-hmm. but hopefully that gives you some context into like a little bit of Diane's life, just who she was. At the time when this all goes down, she's 36 years old. So she's still like a pretty young mom with two kids, I would say. But I really want to focus on one specific day. The day this incident took place. It was Sunday, July 26th, 2009. Okay. And we're going to start our story, I think, around like 9 to 9.30 a.m. So for context, Diane had gone up with her husband on a camping trip. This was up in Hunter Lake Campground in Parksville, New York. Do you know where that is? I do. Um, you do? Okay. Uh, well, you know what? I'm actually thinking there's Hunter Mountain, but I'm sure it's right by that. It's it's, it's in the the Catskills yes. like, mountains. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of all that area. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully that like places things a little bit, but I think they had like a permanent camper there. Like they had a trailer up there. So what they were doing was 
basically taking a camping trip with the kids, take her son, who's five, her daughter, who's two, and they were going to take Diane's three nieces. These are her brother's daughters. One of them is eight, one is seven, one is five. So we got five little kids, Mm -hmm. and the husband and the family dog took two cars up, right? They took a red uh, 2003 Ford Windstar minivan, which is what Diane was going to use to transport the kids up. And I think her husband came up with a truck for the dog. Do you hear that? Uh, oh, hopefully you guys heard that in the background. Is he in the apartment? <laughs> <laughs> he, he sounds like he just drove straight in. He might as well. He, he like slowed down a little bit too as he got closer. Oh my God. So basically they're at this campground, right? All five kids, the husband, dog, everybody's there. They took two vehicles up. Now, this is starting on the morning that they're leaving, right? So they got up very early. They wanted to beat the traffic. So I think Diane and her husband were up at like 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and they like made coffee. They started cleaning up the campsite. Like they're really trying to get on the road with the kids. So by 9.30 a.m., they're set to depart the campground. What they decide was that Diane's husband, Daniel, he's going to take the dog in his truck because it has like a flatbed in the back and it would make more sense. And then obviously she's going to take the van because it can accommodate all of the kids. The van was actually not even hers. Just one additional piece of information. It was her brother's. He had lent it to her specifically for this trip. So Diane left. She had all five kids in the car. And one of the first people to see her that morning outside of her husband, her family, it was the co-owner of the campground. It was as she was leaving, coming up to the exit, and Diane's, you know, in the car. She's got sunglasses on. Reported that she seemed completely fine, very normal, nothing out of the ordinary. Continues driving. The next phase of the story in this timeline is that while on her way back to West Babylon, um, which is in Long Island, right? Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I was like, I don't know why I'm, again, I'm turning to you. I'm like, Miss Atlas, <laughs> Miss Atlas. <laughs> I Thankfully, I remember a little bit about Long Island, but that's definitely there. <laughs> so she ended up stopping at a McDonald's because none of the kids had really eaten yet. So again, we get a second witness, the drive-thru workers who had like interacted with her. Totally normal. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary with this woman. She then stopped at a gas station, which I think was in Liberty, and it might have been adjacent or like very close to the McDonald's. And this is the first time that we actually see Diane on camera that morning. So she parks the van, she's getting gas, and then she gets out of the van, leaves all the kids in the van, and she walks into the convenience store. We see her on camera. She's Again, she seems like fine, but she's kind of pacing through the store. And the clerk who was working actually remembered that she was repeatedly asking if they had a specific type of pain medication. And she's like motioning to her face, like to her head. But it wasn't really clear, like, okay, was she suffering from a headache or did she have, it might have been that she had a toothache. I think her husband later said that she was complaining about, like, an abscess in her tooth. And she had a long time fear of the dentist, did not like to go to the dentist. So she's asking if they have the specific pain medication. They do not. So she ends up not getting anything and she just leaves the convenience store. This is the last time that we see her on camera. And again, I want to overemphasize for everybody listening. You can watch the video of this. She looks very normal. And from everyone who interacted with her, she was very normal. Something goes wrong after this moment at around 11 a.m. 
This is when she leaves Liberty, leaves that gas station, and she would eventually get onto Route 17, Interstate 86. This is the New York Thruway, um, otherwise known, I think, as Interstate 87. Calls start flooding in, reporting a red minivan that is soaring all over the road, like flying past cars, tailgating cars, blasting the horn, flashing lights, like cutting people off, like just going crazy on the highway. And people are calling. They're like, there's a really like crazy guy out here, like some aggressive driver, like he might be drunk or something. So we get our first clue in that something's going on with this woman, Diane, and she's got five kids in that car. Mm. How are you doing so far before we get into how far (sighs) this really goes? I'm just trying to think. I picked up on you saying that she, she was looking for pain medication, so I didn't know if. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah, like maybe that was like if she is about to snap. I'm thinking, is there something like brain related that's going on that maybe she's experiencing like severe migraine or like just like something psychological? That's what it looks like, happen? right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the big mystery of the case is like there are so many little details like that throughout the day of like she was normal. She was normal. Mm-hmm. She's on camera as normal. She's complaining about pain. And then somewhere around 11 a.m., this all goes off the rails. But we just don't really know why, like what prompted it. But basically, this is where we're at. It's 11 a.m. Diane is flying all over the road. These calls are coming in. And I think it's around... 1137, 37 minutes into the drive, when she actually called her brother. This is, I think, the father of the three girls. She called him from the minivan. She sounded pretty normal on the phone, which is really disturbing to me because I feel like somebody who's erratic and who's driving and soaring all over the highway, mm-hmm. you would be able to pick that up on the phone. But she basically called him and she was like, oh, we're going to be delayed. We're stuck in traffic. But that wasn't really the truth. You know, like there there wasn't like so much traffic that it was going to impend her getting home beyond their scheduled time. So something's going on where like she's intentionally delaying bringing the girls back, bringing the kids home. It's weird, right? Oh, totally. The the gears are turning for something not right. Something sinister. I feel like it's about to go down. You have no idea, Stu. Like no idea. Oh, God. So that call happened at, what did I say, 11.37 a.m. She hangs up the phone. Again, he thought everything was totally normal. Seems totally sensible. Yeah, there's traffic. She's delayed. By 11.45 a.m., we would later reconstruct this timeline. There are witnesses who claim to see Diane parked on the side of the road, on the ground, on her hands and knees, violently throwing up. (gasps) I know. I know. So there were like several witnesses who claimed to see that. But then again, there were other witnesses like maybe 10, 15 minutes later who also saw her at a different point, like a rest stop doing the same thing out of her car, erratic, violently throwing up everywhere. But nobody stepped in to really intervene because nobody seemed to know what was going on. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the it's like the bystander effect, really. Like when you see something that's like unnerving like that, it's very scary to go up and approach. But I think if people knew there were children in that van, it would have been a different story. Yeah. Well, also, you never know, like, is somebody car sick or what what it's it's triggering for me is that perhaps she really was in so much physical pain that she was throwing up. I mean, I've I've been there where you're just like 
something is really, really hurting or painful that you honest to God can't like stomach it. Right. But you would think like if she was having that kind of an episode, she would maybe she would be cognizant to know like I can't drive these kids. Like I've got to call my brother. I've got to call my husband. Like I'm in no condition to drive. Like I'm pulled over on a highway throwing up and I've got five kids in the car, but something else is going on here. And this is where things start to get really mysterious, I would say. And this is the most chilling portion of the story. So that happened at around maybe like noon, we're going we're gonna to say. Like 11.45 is when people first saw her, the witnesses. And then by noon, we think she was at this rest stop. She was throwing up. We don't really know what was going on with her for like an hour. It was kind of like a weird gap in time. But basically, we roll around to 1 p.m. And another call comes in. It's from Diane's cell phone, but it's not Diane. It's one of the nieces, the eldest, I think, who actually was calling her mother. And her mother picked up and she was like, Diane, and it's her daughter. And she goes, Mommy, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. They're behind the wheel at this point, like they're on the road. So what the mother can hear, which is immediately chilling, is that the other kids in the background in the car are sobbing. Mm-hmm. So something something's really going down here. And it's, it sounds like the parents don't really know, but they're getting a clue in for the first time. So the mother starts to panic and she's like, could you put your aunt on the phone real quick? Gets Diane on the phone. Again, very disturbing. And to her shock, Diane almost sounds normal. Like for a second, she, she's like, oh, no, no, no. She's like, you don't understand. She's like, the girls and I, like, we're just playing. We're playing a game. Mm. And she's, the mother's like, well, what's going on? She's like, Diane, she's like, I hear the kids crying. Like, are you okay? Like, where are you? And then she starts to not make sense. It's like she's speaking clearly, but what she's saying isn't sensical. And the mother like starts to question it. She's like, Diane, Diane, honey, you're not like, you're not really making sense right now. Like, can you pull off on the side of the road? Diane hangs up the phone. Oh God. That's the last call from that car. We don't know very much about what happened immediately after that, but what we can assume is that Diane then stopped the minivan again on the highway. She left her cell phone on the side of the road and drove off. With the kids? Still in tow. Okay. Yeah, she's got five kids in that car still. So at this point, this is when like those parents start panicking and I think Diane's husband gets clued in. Like there's an emergency. They think it's a medical emergency going on in that car. Diane's not making sense. So they start pouring in these calls to 911. They were like, you don't understand. She's got five kids in the car. And it's around this time that other calls start coming in as well. Because there are reports of a minivan, an extremely erratic driver who is soaring once again all over the road. She is flying past cars, but there is a fateful decision that is made. Right around 127 to 130. What we know is that Diane, while in that car, got onto an exit ramp going the wrong way. (gasps) She went past a sign that said, do not enter, got onto a one way, and then she was going in the opposite direction of traffic, against traffic, at approximately 80 miles per hour. The descriptions of what people said during this time, it was so horrifying to me because they were like, it wasn't like she was weaving in and out of traffic. It was a person who was driving pin straight. Yeah. And everybody is flying off the road because it's just that they think it's a, some guy driving. They're like, there is some lunatic who is going pin straight in the wrong direction of traffic 
they don't seem to be cognizant whatsoever that there are other cars like around them. So people are going off the road, they're panicking, they're laying down the horn. And what's so scary to me is that there were a few people who actually got a glimpse of Diane through her window as she passed. They said she looked entirely normal, just completely straight face, um, almost like she was not even aware of what she was doing. How horrifying. I'm like sitting here trying to think like, was she trying to commit suicide or was she? It's it's nonsensical. Like the whole yeah. thing is just, I mean, we can talk about some theories about like what might have been going on here mentally. And of course, like we'll get into like a little bit of the aftermath. But basically, this all rears to a head because Diane is going in the opposite direction of traffic. All these 911 calls are coming in about this reckless driver. She makes it about 1.7 miles going down the parkway. I think she was northbound before she collided head-on with another vehicle. This was approximately 1.35 p.m. when a 2004 Chevy Trailblazer was struck head-on. Inside were two men, a father's son. They were older, and then one of their friends, who was also older, in their 70s. They're all ejected, killed instantly. (gasps) Diane is ejected from the car. She is also killed instantly and splayed out across the highway oh my god the children in this car two of the nieces are killed instantly as well as diane's two-year-old daughter and the other niece would survive for only a day in the icu from this crash and diane's son miraculously would survive because his impact was braced by the bodies of the girls (gasps) So, the, I mean, I won't play it because I find it really disturbing, but we can look this up later and we can certainly post it on Reddit for anybody who wants to play it. But basically what happened was when she hit head on to that 2004 Chevy, it kind of spiraled out into another car, hit like a 2002 Chevy that was nearby. I think in that car was a first responder. He's like the first person on the scene who calls 911 and the things he describes are just horrific. So he's on the phone with 911. And he's, you know, screaming about like how there was a head-on collision just now. Somebody was soaring down the wrong way of the highway. And the operator says, are there injuries? He goes, there are fatalities. There are bodies everywhere. Mm. Many of the bodies were trapped inside of the minivan. And when they actually investigated this, when first responders got there, it appeared that none of the children were wearing seatbelts. And the two-year-old was not even in a car seat. Oh, my God. So we have an extraordinarily mysterious tragedy here where it appears that something went on with Diane where on a morning where she was just supposed to be driving these kids to get breakfast at McDonald's and then take them home. For whatever reason, she went off the rails for the next few hours before getting into a head-on collision. What looked like intentionally. So how do we make sense of the mystery of what she did? You know what's really weird about this? I don't know if you're about to launch in, but I was just thinking to myself, she clearly is like, she's a mom. She has that maternal instinct. As you were describing her earlier, she was like PTA mom, took care of her brothers. So I really, as I'm listening to you, feel like there was 
of course, uh, some sort of psychotic break, but that she sort of was so out of sorts that she didn't even clock that the kids were in the car. I feel like once she started driving pinned straight head on, like, I think that she almost like Mm -hmm. that she entered some sort of sphere of her mind where she just didn't even remember like who she was or where she was, if that makes sense. It, no, it totally does. But I, I should give you some additional context about what else they find at the scene. Because initially, what they suspect, they were like, this is, I mean, could this be like a psychotic break? Is this a suicide plot? Like, this was so out of left field. None of it made sense. But initially, what they find in the wreckage is a very large broken bottle of absolute vodka on the driver's side. So then we get clued in to this sounds like an extreme drunk driving accident. But how does this make sense? Was Diane a secret alcoholic? Nobody knew about her as a drinker. So at first they questioned the father and they were like, why would she have a bottle of absolute vodka? He said that it was brought to the camper. Like it was just something that was in the car, but he was insistent that Diane was not a drinker. Like she was like a buttoned up person, but appearances are deceiving. Sometimes the people who are the most put together, the most buttoned up, they have something going on underneath the surface. So that's the original theory. They're like, okay, well, this is very clear that Diane was drunk driving, but why decide to do it? So that's the question. They end up going in for an autopsy. Of course, the autopsy shows that she did have alcohol in her system. When they take her blood alcohol level, 0.19%, which I'm going to clarify for everybody, is the equivalent of 10 undigested drinks Mm. of pure vodka. In her stomach. Oh my! So it's God. very clear she was downing vodka behind the wheel with five kids in the car. What was disturbing about this for the medical examiner was that they were like, "Okay, this spells the story of a a secret alcoholic who just did something senseless and lost her life, but also cost the lives of all of these other people, these children." Her organs did not show evidence of any repeat abuse of alcohol. not the organs of an alcoholic. So it was even stranger. It was like a one-off experience where she woke up that morning at the campground, 9.30 a.m., and then sometime around 11, while driving all these kids, just decided to start downing vodka. How do we make sense of that? You're going to think I'm nuts, but I'm wondering if she started drinking because there was some sort of physical pain that she was feeling. And she Mm -hmm. was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And then just started drinking. I mean, obviously you don't have the equivalent of 10 drinks of vodka. That's a lot of vodka. That's a lot of vodka. Extreme amounts of vodka. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely sounds like this was intentional drinking, like to an absurd degree, but I was just trying to think, could that have had some sort of tie into her being like, I'm in extreme pain, like right when she woke up that morning that she Mm -hmm. decided to drink. And then I don't know if she just kept drinking because it didn't go away or if there really was some sort of, there was an alcoholism problem that was underlying there. Well, there was nothing in her body that suggested that. Yeah. That was the thing. So the mystery was they said, None of her organs show evidence that she had a routine issue with abusing alcohol or that she would drink any more than any other normal person. In fact, they didn't show any evidence that she was a drinker at all. What was also strange was that when they went for that approach, they're like, okay, well, maybe this had to do with the alleged tooth theory that her tooth was 
causing her pain. So she was trying to dull the pain Mm -hmm. with booze. When they went to inspect her mouth during the autopsy, they did not find an abscess that could explain this apparent toothache. There was nothing there that would make sense for that. So that immediately like canceled two things out, like the scenario of the secret alcoholic and then the scenario of her trying to numb the pain with alcohol. But it's she's such, in theory, such a responsible person and a put-together person that she must have been cognizant that she was getting herself into a situation where like she's going to be on a highway with kids in a van and she's blasted. Yeah, I mean, I don't, well, and I keep coming back to her being a mom, that mm-hmm. there's that empathetic maternal side. I don't know where, I really am starting to feel like there was just some sort of brain thing going on where she like legitimately was feeling physical pain in her brain or something and then started to drink. I, I definitely think there might be a, a connection there, but. They went that route too with the autopsy to look at her brain to see, you know, was it possible she was having a stroke? Did she have an aneurysm? Was there some sort of defect in the brain that could explain some impaired thinking that would even maybe cause her to start drinking like that? And she wasn't thinking logically. No evidence. Nothing in the brain. No damage to her organs to support alcoholism. And no alleged toothache. It was as if she woke up and made a decision to do this but we have no evidence that she was even planning to do it as like a revenge plot or like to take her life or take the kids lives like there's no note there's no according to her husband i mean there's no evidence in their marriage but we don't know everything i will say that we don't know everything and he is in some extreme denial for anybody who's actually watched this doc he actually refuses to believe or concede to the idea that diane ingested those drinks he was like If she did, it must have been something going on with her psychologically that caused her to drink like that because Diane wouldn't do that. Mm. But we don't have any evidence to support that. That's this whole thing is so bizarre. It's also I know we're just off the heels of the frat boy cannibal, but it's kind of the same thing where it's like. The like it's something just went awry like truly a snap situation of somebody that comes from a seemingly loving family or has family around them um that just lost it i don't yeah i don't know how to make sense of it honestly i it what's also odd to me is how many people actually interacted with her on that morning because theoretically when can we say that we we would assume she started drinking is it right after 11 a.m maybe um, okay, so remind me, she goes to the store for the pain medication. So, yeah, that's at 11. So, okay. 9.30 a.m., she leaves the campground. First witness to see her says she's completely sober, totally normal, behind the wheel. Very, very fine. Like, n- not even upset. Like, just, like, normal mom driving these kids. Then she stops at McDonald's, drive through workers. They say she's also sober, very normal, nothing awry. Then at 11, she stops at the gas station, goes in. First time we see and hear her complaining about the pain. We don't know where this pain is coming from. Is it her head? Is it her tooth? Can't get the pain medication, but again, she looks very sober, very normal. Could have fooled me. Gets back into the van sometime after that. I think between like 11 to 11.30, it's like straight downhill. Like she's already on the highway and she is soaring, like ripping past cars. 
Well, what we would need to know is when she got the vodka or where she got it from, because in New York State, you can't just buy from a gas station. I mean, you'd have to go to... Oh, she didn't get it at the gas station. Okay, okay. Yeah, we would have seen that on camera. Right, right, right. Okay. So it was already in the car. She already had it, yeah. Okay, well, that kind of, I think, spells out a different story that this could have been something more psychologically, like, motivated that she already knew that vodka was in the car and she was going to start to drink. And then maybe she started throwing up to try to get it out of her system because she realized she was too drunk. I mean, I think the throwing up thing is also pretty interesting. It is. It is. I I also think like her sounding lucid on the phone right around that time too, because it's like right after that where she gets on the phone, I think, well, she talks to the brother and she says, oh, we're going to be delayed. We're stuck in traffic. So she's already like kind of covering her ass a little bit. But then at 1 p.m. when one of the nieces calls and she's like bawling on the phone saying there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. The mother talks to her. The mother's like, she wasn't making complete sense, but she didn't sound drunk. Hmm. You know, there's something weird about that. I really can't put my finger on it, but somebody also tossed out this theory. And I don't know if they were ever able to confirm whether, you know, the alcohol they found in, in her blood could be related directly back to the vodka. But Somebody said, could this be a case of auto brewery syndrome, which I had actually never heard of before. Have you heard of that? Say it again. Auto brewery syndrome, where your body basically, you have an excess of yeast in your stomach, which would come from carbohydrates. And your body has some sort of like a, like a false process of it where it basically quickly ferments it and turns it into alcohol. So you, bas- you just become drunk without drinking out of nowhere. I have never heard of that in my life. Um, and as much it's, it's as, extremely rare. <laughs> I was gonna say, as much as I would want to side with that, I think that just the sheer idea that she had alcohol in the car. I mean, I definitely think that she was drinking whatever was in that bottle. I I mean, it would make the most sense, but we can't know for sure because, of course, the bottle was found like smashed yeah. to bits. Yeah. I'm gonna send you a picture. Let's see. I won't send you anything graphic, but for anyone who has seen the documentary, I don't know why they did this, but at the very end of the doc, they actually show crime scene photos, like show photos of the wreck, and they show a very disturbing up close of Diane, like on the road. Like, I think her her seatbelt is like still draped across her chest. Like, it's so disturbing. And she's she's alive in this photo? No, she's dead. Okay. She was dead. Okay. That's not what I'm sending you right now. Sorry, oh, okay. I should have clarified. Okay. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I thought you were going to send me like a really close up. This like a close no. up shot of like somebody driving next to her or something. Okay. No, I was sending you a picture of the the three nieces, and then I'm going to try to find a picture of Diane's kids. Her son did survive. He had severe head trauma, um, and he did actually. I think he lost an eye. He lost his eye in the wreck. Oh my gosh, they look like such a happy family. This is so weird. I know. Well, that's that's not um so those are Diane's nieces and that's Diane's oh, this brother. Is, okay. Yeah. And that's the those are the surviving parents. Okay. Their kids oh. were in the car. Let me see if I can find a picture of Diane's kids. Okay, I'm seeing here now if if I scroll down I see Diane. Okay. 
oh my god the car is like absolutely just like in smithereens i mean it's it was yeah an 85 mile per hour like head on collision like there was a full on explosion This is so weird. It's just, of course it's disturbing and of course it's horrific. And I don't know how many families can come back from tragedy of this magnitude. And what's crazy about it is that it actually incited quite a few lawsuits. There were a lot of places where people wanted to point the finger. And I think a lot of these lawsuits ended up getting dropped because effectively... What they couldn't figure out was the motive behind it, right? Because we don't have a note. We don't have any prior information, at least coming from Diane's husband, Daniel, about like a fight or something that could have explained like why Diane would do this. Because let's paint the picture and say it was intentional. Diane just snaps and she was like, I want out. I want out. And this is a revenge plot and I'm taking the kids with me. It's very, very horrific to imagine that, but it's entirely possible the only way that we would get clued into that is from a note or like text records between her and her husband or her husband comes clean and says we were, our marriage was bad and we had a very bad fight and Diane might've been cornered, but he's never said that. I also just think the time of day is so weird. Like to, yeah. I, but it's either weird or it helps explain it more that like she woke up and chose to do this like she had already kind of thought about it it just seems like for for them to say she was such a model mother she was so in control Mm -hmm. that it just doesn't seem like she would start her day and say okay i'm gonna get really drunk and potentially like right put everybody in danger today like i feel like those situations almost happen like from there's some sort of inciting incident or like it's later like on. Like that morning, you mean like there yeah. might have been something or the night before or even at the campground. Yeah. And I, I don't want to like, you know, throw him under the bus or anything, but I think there's got to be more to that family dynamic of hers than we know. I'd be very curious to hear what her son might remember once he grows up because mm-hmm. he's the, really the only surviving one from that van. I think once he grows up and... I'm sure. I am sure he's that's a extraordinarily traumatic thing to happen. I'm sure he's he will be in therapy for a very long time, but when he is older and ready to talk about it, to know like what those few hours were like in the van with his mom. I'd be very fascinated to hear like what was actually going on because even if he just gave one I'm not even sure what he remembers of mm-hmm. the crash, but if he just gave a sliver of information like I saw mommy you know, drinking from a bottle. Mm-hmm. That tells us a story. Yeah. Or like what she was saying. It's a whole thing. But basically, all these lawsuits come down because I think the brother, so the the parents of the three girls, the three nieces who were killed, they would end up suing the surviving husband, Daniel. I think that lawsuit gets dropped. I think they were able to do this because the Westchester County Medical Examiner had eventually ruled that he believed the crash was a homicide just based on the conduct of like the negligent driving, but also the the toxicology findings. You know, like there are only so many ways we can paint this picture. It was it seemed very clear Diane was drinking. So we have to assume that she was doing that with the intention to cause harm. Because if not, what's the aftermath? 
right. gets plastered and just shows up to drop the kids off and she's like blackout drunk behind a wheel. Right. Like she, it was like she wanted something to happen. I, I It's really just bugging me that I don't know more about like their dynamic or that the husband has kind of been... I know he's so tight about it. He won't, yeah. yeah, he won't say anything. If you watch the doc, it's it's kind of insufferable because not only is he in severe denial, but he has so much, so much residual anger mm. towards her, which comes across so clear. In fact, the way that he's kind of approached it with his son, which is horrific for anybody who's watched this creepers, if you do, but he's basically told his son, who's very young. I mean, he's I. I can't imagine like how old he is now but like at the time he was like five or six you know this is life you got to get over it like things happen like things happen this is not things this is this is like beyond horrific it's not just things yeah and see that's not normal to to rationalize what happened as a thing that just happened i mean this woman Clearly, she was in some sort of, uh, she said, physical pain that morning. She was in emotional pain. I I believe that some, I don't think that you just decide one morning, you know, if you have a headache to wake up and drink 10 shots of vodka with five kids in a car and crash yes. head on to somebody. Do you think she was aware when she was going the wrong direction on the highway? Do you think she, I mean, clearly she was very drunk, but even when you're very drunk, I think sometimes you, you do know. Like, you would know that, wouldn't you? I think so. I think what I would be curious about, and I hate even like thinking about this because it breaks my heart to think about, but if she started to realize, oh my God, I'm absolutely losing control right now and I'm going to kill these kids, like, and I don't mm-hmm. want to, um, you know, I, I kind of wonder if there was a moment where even if this was of clarity. yeah like a suicide thing or whatever that she realized oh my god i uh, how do i get control back of the car cuz if she was on that road for a long enough time i mean i guess people were swerving out of the way and that helped but i wonder if she i would be curious if she was also trying to like swerve or like if she wasn't yeah no, she wasn't. okay she was just going totally straight that was the yeah, that was the original description that everybody said. She was driving pin straight, no deviation from her path. It was everybody else's job to move out of her way because she was coming. She was she had the intention that if somebody was in her way, they were going to collide. Then unfortunately, I feel like that means she she knew what was coming. It kills me because we're we're never going to actually know. Yeah. And it, it's crazy because they also went to the extent to exhume the body because it was so, I mean, they the husband had hired like private investigators and they had, you know, tried to get the case reopened, reexamined. They didn't agree with the medical findings. And they thought maybe if she had taken a drug, you know, accidentally or something or something had counteracted in like her her body like they would find it in her hair fibers they never found anything i would say they did find some trace amounts of thc they can never be sure if she like smoked weed that morning it's very possible she did but from what her friends said i guess she was a kind of a regular like casual smoker Mm. which also didn't really align with me for somebody who i i thought diane was but again appearances are deceiving well 
This was 2019, 2014. Neither, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lord. This was this was 2009. 2009. Okay, see, I knew it was a 19. Jesus. Um, I don't know where. The dates, they just, they, you're writing them. You're writing the narrative. I know. I'm like, <laughs> it was 1849. Um, it could have been. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that, that also paints a picture because I feel like, you know, weed has only very recently become something that's a little bit more casual or people view it as like casual um so maybe there was kind of i I hate even saying this because i feel like i'm painting her to be like a person that had a double life or something but Mm -hmm. um i think as like a mom during that time when they're that young it's to be smoking weed is you know, now I think people would probably be like, oh, okay, yeah, there's some moms that smoke a little bit on the side or whatever. But I'm sure that when all of this came out, that was like something they really didn't want to have come out, if I had to guess. Well, I think you got a point there, actually, because her husband does go to some lengths to kind of not conceal it, but just like repaint the narrative around it. He was like, Diane would occasionally do this. Like it was mm-hmm. very infrequent. Her friends had a little bit of a different story and take on that. They said she was kind of a regular smoker. But I think the call out there actually is that weed wasn't legal. It wasn't like there were dispensaries in New York or, or you know, Long Island area at the time. So she's clearly getting it from somewhere. And I don't know that that suggests a double life or anything, but it certainly does suggest that Diane may not have been who everybody thought she was, which was this buttoned up, you know, kind of white collared put together professional you know she's like pta mom of the year or was that all building up to a breaking point is the question so eventually all lawsuits in this case they do get dropped and eventually we get the child passenger protection act which came directly from this case in august of 2009 new york governor david patterson proposed the child protection or sorry child passenger protection act which would make it a felony to drive while intoxicated if a passenger is under the age of 16 in a vehicle. So this is like past like the legal limit. Like you're not allowed to drive with any level of intoxication if you have a minor in the car. All, all because of this case. Yeah, I mean, this was when this happened in 2009 in that area, at least regionally, like the news coverage on it was absolutely menacing it's i mean it's one of the the worst things you can imagine yeah god i feel so horrifically for the surviving parents of the three girls yeah they've actually gone on to do some pretty astounding advocacy work um in the memory of their daughters and they did later conceive another daughter actually as far as i know Which I remember uh, doing some research on it and like watching an interview with the mother and she said having another child has like brought a heartbeat back to the family Mm. in a way. Like it's given us like a second, like a new lease on life to survive the tragedy and try to make some sense of what happened. But I think what's going to haunt them and what haunts everybody who hears this case is just the why, how senseless it was and whether Diane knew what she was doing or if there's something else here that we're missing. Yeah, and I'm sure it haunts. Is that's the the uh, woman that was on the phone with her, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, she was. I'm sure that call just haunts her every day. I was, I I was cannot about imagine that, that last night. Thinking about oh. it last night, I was like that final call where just hearing the words 
because I'm trying to imagine what was going on in that van where it was so scary for children, for like little kids, that they're screaming, crying, and Diane's not doing anything. Like, like she's not but like pacifying the situation or trying to like help them or calm them. Like it seemed clear that she didn't care. She was aware yeah. they were just in distress. She just didn't care. Yeah. Well, and little kids know like a personality change when it's somebody that they're close to. And then all of a sudden they start acting really, really weird and scary. Like I'm sure they were absolutely terrified of her because they didn't, that's not who they know. So they're probably freaking out. It takes a lot to call a parent from this adult's cell phone and say there's something wrong with them Mm -hmm. as an Mm eight-year-old. Like, you have to really know and be sure that there's something bad happening here and you have to do something. Yeah. So just to think about that, like, final moment or the... Because it was, like, what like maybe, like, a half hour, 45 minutes later, not even, where this all happens. I just got like full chills up my back thinking about what it must have been like to be in the car. I know. Ugh. That's very, I mean, that's extremely fast. 85 miles per hour on a yeah. parkway. That's, that's no joke. Especially what? going against traffic. I can't imagine. And what's crazy too. Okay. Here's the other thing that I meant to mention before. The two-year-old was not in a car seat. That's really specific to me because she would have been in that car seat from 9.30 a.m. when they left the campground, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So was she taken out of the car seat? Was she never put into a car seat? Like, did this plot with Diane start in the morning before all of the drinking and the throwing up at like 11 11 a.m.? Yeah. I still can't get over the throwing up. Like, to me, that, that indicates a lot. Like, because I don't know if she's throwing up because she's just sick because she's chugged so much alcohol in such a short period of time or if she's throwing up because like making herself throw yeah up. like she's like okay i don't want to do this like but and it happened twice didn't you say she stopped and started throwing up yeah yeah pe- people saw her in two different locations around i think 11 15 around then sometime between 11 to 11 15 she's on the side of the road on her hands and knees throwing up that's insane. See, okay, sorry. She started driving at what time again? Like left the campground? Yeah. 9.30. She left 9.30 and then McDonald's and then the convenience store at 11, left the convenience store just that same minute because they didn't have the pain meds between 11 to 11.15, instantly throwing up on the side of the road. Okay, see, that to me checks as like she just chugged that vodka and then it like made her feel sick what but like was it the pain like that doesn't make any like what nobody would just in their right mind would say i'm gonna numb this pain by downing a bottle of vodka and getting behind the wheel totally nobody would do that unless there's something wrong with them totally and especially with no history no duis do like that's what's crazy no history of like duis or like drinking a lot at parties no it just it actually infuriates me because I can't figure it out. I can't make sense of the decision making. Oh God. I don't, I don't know either. I really don't have the, my only clue is that she chugged it so fast that it feels like it was a decision was made that I'm going to 
be reckless and maybe take my own life. Oh. I hate to think I hate to think that way, but I think you're right. And it it still doesn't make complete sense to me because it's like, why go through the motions of like, I don't know, driving the kids to McDonald's, getting everybody breakfast? Like, what are we doing? Well, why, why have the kids in the car in the first place? Like, that's really I, the tragedy. I, I think we see sometimes, and I just covered another case on The Sinister, where we see um, parents who have psychotic breaks who, like, start to rationalize, like, I'm going to take the kids with me. Like, if I can't oh, have them, no one can. Totally. But these weren't all her kids. I mean, to do this to, like, her brother's kids was just bizarre to me, too, unless there was also a vendetta against the brother. Yeah. I think there's seriously some sort of like underlying familial things that we don't know, but it's really funny mm-hmm. that you mentioned that because I, this whole time I've been thinking about Timothy Pitson. Yes. Yes. So similar to Timothy Pitson. Yeah. Oh, that's also a disturbing case. They've still never found him ever. I've, I've been doing this too long because now my memory is starting to get clear. I'm like, how did I just remember his name? <laughs> like normally <laughs> Clearly, I can't remember a damn year to save my life, but I'm pulling names. The, <laughs> the years are amusing, though, because like, <laughs> you'll jump around from decades. <laughs> and I start, I appreciate it. I appreciate the levity of it because it like snaps me back into like, okay, okay, I'm sitting here because I'll get stuck in these stories. Like yeah. when I covered this solo on The Sinister, like I was really, I was like, like going nuts for a second, like trying to figure this out and like going through her autopsy reports as if I know like. Your word shit about f- about an <laughs> autopsy. Like I'm going through this autopsy and I'm like, okay, laceration of the neck. Like I don't know what I'm looking at. But foolery, but, you know, tomfoolery. I'm, I'm totally with you though because normally there's a paper trail. There's like some sort of yes. incident that you know about, and that's why I was saying it reminds me a little bit of like you know the frat boy cannibal or whatever. That it, there's with that one, it was like all of a sudden. Although there was you know some incidents that I think the parents just kind of they turned an eye to but mm-hmm. usually th- there's some sort of like there's trouble in the marriage or whatever to make a adult woman snap and this is just there's nothing or that the husband's being very tight-lipped if there was something I, I would say if there's any key to this to really uncovering what happened here it's going to be the husband yeah he strikes me as someone, and you know what? I, I don't want to pass judgment on him because this is a horrific tragedy for him as well. Mm-hmm. And people deal with grief in some very strange ways, but his two-year-old daughter was killed. His wife was ejected from a vehicle and like once flying across a highway. Like it's a horrible, horrible thing to imagine. So I think he's dealt with it by trying to basically defend Diane to the death, like to the death, to the finish line. She was not drunk. She would never do this. She was an excellent mother. And he's preserving this version of Diane. But I think he's withholding parts of the story that could actually paint the story. Yeah. I don't know. I Speaking of the frat boy cannibal, since you brought it up before, I was just going through um, some additional research on that because I'm still holding on to it and like looking through stuff. Wait, I so found, was I. Were you? <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, like, there's something about it where like I was just like, I think I wanted to follow up on like what's going on with that case today, but these calls got released from, I don't know how early on in the case this was, but it was basically his father going to visit him like in the facility once he became stable. And I know 
parents do this when their kid is in trouble, especially when their kid's not all there. And he was like, but it's really gross to listen to. He's on the phone with his son, with Austin, and he's like, well, I got you two fantastic lawyers. We're going to work this out. And he's kind of guiding him without like directly guiding him towards the story. He was like, I think it wasn't just you. He's like, I think that they were attacking you and it was maybe self-defense. Like he's like trying to build his narrative for him. And you can hear Austin on the other end of the phone. And he's like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know what happened. Like he's, he's like starting to stabilize. And he was like, no dad, something is and was wrong with me. And I don't really know what I did. I'm trying to think of where I watch. I, Cause I think I saw the thumbnail for that clip. Was it mm-hmm. on? Okay, because I watched both of the Dr. Phil interviews, which oh, you did. I, I, I did. didn't. I didn't watch those actually. The one where it was like one on one with him. Yeah, I watched the one on one where I think Austin's in jail and it's like a remote interview, and then I watched mm-hmm. the one on one with the father, who gets extraordinarily emotional, of course. Um, but and that's yeah. in person. But I mean, he really is. Austin is desensitized like when you're watching that and he's very stable you can tell now and i think probably on a lot of medication but Mm -hmm. i mean he says very clearly like i didn't really know what i was doing like i was completely out of my head and body and so when you say desensitized do you mean like he's numb to like his reaction of the situation or do you mean like he's okay like as they're talking about it there's no I mean, listen, if I came out of a situation and I was told that I had eaten someone's face, oh my God. I'm pretty sure anytime somebody asked me about it, I would be like <sighs> freaking out. But maybe he was just on. Well, especially if you don't remember it. Totally. I mean, how terrifying is that? Yeah. And what was kind of just so eerie about the interview is he's just very like, like truly desensitized. Like I felt like just kind of like one note. Like numbed over. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I don't want to, this is a personal experience of mine, but I know somebody, and of course I won't name them, but I know someone who suffered from a, a pretty severe psychotic break. I mean, they were not operating at the same plane of reality as everyone else. Mm-hmm. When they were found, when they were rehabilitated and treated, and then I finally went to go see that person again, it was really shocking and scary for me for some reason, because I think I I knew like how far off they had been previously like i i knew what their thinking was beforehand but then to sit down with them and to hear this person talk completely monotone very normal i saying normal things normal conversation in fact thanking me for like trying to outreach trying to help through the situation but very clearly they had been kind of flatlined mm-hmm. from some medication that was being used to stabilize them so i don't know very much about what kind of medication can do that Maybe that's what antipsychotics do. I'm sure there will be some mental health professionals who (laughs) listen who are going to rip me a new one as they do. And that's fine because you're the professional. But it 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 was a very stark difference to the personality I knew before he got sick or before he had his break. I mean, he was much more animated, obviously, before. But like whatever they put him on to stabilize him, he was flat. Sometimes I really do wonder if there are mental health professionals that listen to this. I would be curious to know if when you have a break, if there's certain like neurological pathways that get like 
busted or like realigned or mm. like where you do kind of just naturally like flatline a little bit. I, I would be really curious to know. Maybe that's a really, that's a good thing we should toss off to any creepers who are mental health professionals. I would just ask for your POV on the Diane Schuler case. Because again, let's just state the facts. Clearly, she had alcohol in her system, enough to equate to 10 undigested drinks. We're going to assume she was drinking. But her organs showed no evidence of a prior history of alcohol abuse. Her brain also showed no evidence of anything physical that we could say would cause this behavior, like an aneurysm or a stroke. And she didn't have this tooth decay if we're going with this, or this like abscess if we're going with this pain scenario. So from a mental health perspective, I would love to know what creepers who are qualified think about this story and what really went down here. I know it's impossible for us to know, but does this sound like a secret alcoholic or does this sound like someone who was trying to take their own life or does this sound like a psychosis that led from one bad thing to another? which was downing a bottle of vodka. I need to know. I need them to weigh in. We do have the resources, I'm telling you. Like, some of the creepers, there are creepers who are doctors, there are creepers who are morticians, who work in forensics. Like, we've got a team. We really do, Stu. And we just sit over here and we're like, now what could it be? (laughs) And, well, you and I sound like we know exactly what it is, especially me. I feel like I came in hot. I'm like, well... This is what I've seen and this is what I know. <laughs> no, but you can't you came forward with like some good some good pitches, honestly, because I feel like you were right on the money for most of it. And I feel like you were kind of uncovering like what what the Occam's razor of this was, which is just that Diane decided to drink. Yeah. I I mean that's the most that's logical. The fact. Yeah. <sighs> it's such a devastating story. Had you really not heard that story? I'm kind of shocked that you didn't. I'm sorry I must have told this to you like years ago maybe I that you might have told me it feels very familiar and I don't know what that says about me or means but it does sound and feels familiar um I I don't know but I I don't think I'd heard it before well I'm happy that we got to cover it to give it a little more awareness and a little bit more of a platform because although it's not an unsolved case there are things here to uncover still And I really do think, I don't know if it's going to come from any additional evidence, like another autopsy or exhuming the bodies, but there's a bigger story here that I feel like we're missing. And I really hope either if the husband comes forward with something or Diane's son decides one day that he wants to talk about this experience, that we get another piece to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. I promise you from the bottom of my heart, don't even lie to me. I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you. A ghost story, baby. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Halloween Town next week. So, like, we're gonna, oh my god! Oh, like we're we're talking we're about talk the boogeyman about- under the bed. We're gonna just do a whole like uh, decom Disney Channel original movie. We'll just go through. I would our love favorites. to do that. Oh my god! I would absolutely love to listen. Nothing could make me happier. That sounds like an After Dark episode to me. Oh my Disney god! Disney Channel originals. Yes. Oh, Y two K Disney, early two thousands Disney. I'm throwing it in the word bank. Please do. I thought of some really good ones that I wanted to send you, but I, oh, I'm forgetting what they are. Damn. It was a, what was it? College orientation, I think. Oh my or God. First job. Dorm rooms. Dorm rooms. Get away from me. <laughs> Dorm, rooms. <coughs> Dorm room parties. Do you know what's so funny? Speaking of After Dark, I've been thinking about uh, 
there was an episode where you brought up like the phonetics of words in the English language are supposed to yes. sound like. And when I just said dorm room, I'm like, that tracks dorm. <laughs> Listen, it's true. First of all, an acting teacher told me that. So it must be true. Act. But yeah, I, I think that's true. I think it's true. I think it is, too. You, you've got Show, me. Tell me otherwise. Show me an example. Creepers sound off in the comments. But with that, we'll see you on another episode. Maybe an episode of After Dark. But for now, we are going to say goodbye. And good luck. All right. We'll catch you on the next one, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye, Creepers. <laughs>